For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. I almost said happy Monday. I had to catch myself. Uh, We've gotten through another Labor Day. We've gotten through another summer. And when I think of this time of year, especially the day after Labor Day, I always think of it as a new year. September, Labor Day, it's always a time of new beginnings. Uh, There's so much to celebrate today. First of all, I'd like to celebrate the fact that we have two amazing sponsors this week. First of all, we have EMC Studios uh, in New Jersey. If you are looking for great contemporary uh, songwriters, uh, uh, teachers, uh, I would like to recommend Aaron Kalev, uh, who is amazing. And I also want to recommend a great show that's going to be at the Larry Beachman Theater in October, and that's Deborah Stone. And they are both sponsoring us today. So I'm celebrating both of them today. And I'm also celebrating Tesla Bella. Tesla Bella suggested our show today. And I am so excited. Jill is right here. She has a new book out, The Contemporary Singer's Blueprint. It's not even hot off the presses yet uh, because I don't even have a copy of it. Uh, But this book today is National Read a Book Day. So how appropriate that we are going to be talking about reading a book. We are going to be talking about new beginnings because this is the Contemporary Singer's Uh, blueprint. And Jill, I want to tell you, first of all, I have been delving into your life, your career, your body of worth. Uh, So much to explore here. Uh, But congratulations on everything that you have accomplished thus far. You are an amazing singer in your own right. Uh, And thank you for taking your gifts and wanting to share them with others. One of the things that I have been discovering, if you don't mind my speaking for just a few moments before you speak, we live in a very narcissistic world. And a lot of people think of putting themselves on stage, being in the spotlight and thinking it's all about them, them, them. But you share the wealth. And and everything that I've read about you and everything that Tess says about you, uh, you walk the walk and you talk the talk. So I commend you, I congratulate you, and I thank you for all of that. Thank you. That is a gorgeous uh, recommendation, introduction. Uh, I I can't thank you enough for having me. Well, I'm thrilled that you're here today. And I want to ask, in addition to the book, uh, who or what are you celebrating today? You know... I'm celebrating. I just I just had a birthday a couple of days ago. Happy birthday. Thank you. And my book is is the official release date is this Thursday, September 8th. And I'm celebrating uh, much like you were saying, new beginnings. It's a new year. It's a new, exciting project for me. This is my third book. Uh, the second on this topic of of singing, which has been my passion and my life and my career for 30 years. Um, And it's going to open up a lot of new opportunities, uh, master classes and clinics and um, and great opportunities like this to chat with Richard Skipper. Hello. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Jill, I'm a very spiritual person. And based on the music that I've been listening to, uh, you're a very spiritual person yourself, I believe. Uh, And, you know, the three in spirituality is a very golden number. Are you aware of that? I am. I always buy three of everything, three Christmas ornaments to put on my tree at a time. I give three gifts at a time, three. And I didn't even know the significance of three, uh, but it's something that I was drawn to even when I was young. I would want three tchotchkes on my windowsill or, you know what I mean? I've always loved the number three. Because of where you're sitting, I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to move you here so that we, uh, it, it's more uh, even out, So, which I love. Yeah, so I'm going to look over more at you this way. So um, uh, this book is the Contemporary Singers um, uh, Blueprint. And I want to ask, first of all, I always ask our guests to go back to when they were five years old. And I asked for a photograph of you at five, because to me, the five-year-old self is the purest self, I believe, uh, before life begins to tell you who you should or should not be. And I love this photograph that you sent. Uh, and there you are with a flower. I've got my flowers behind me. I love flowers. Uh, tell us a little bit about this photograph. Well, I, I, number one, I'm not sure if I was five there, but I was somewhere around that. And I just thought it captured so perfectly exactly who I am. As you said, I love to dress up. I love to perform. That's a sort of a makeshift, uh, you know, back curtain with, from a sheet that's on that picture. And I think I took my sister, my older sister's uh, like flower that she had made and put flowers in my hair. She probably helped me with the whole thing. And I love dance. I always took ballet and tap and jazz growing up and always sang around the house and uh, sang every commercial jingle that came on in between, you know, during any shows that we were watching, like Batman and Robin, like your guest last night. I mean, are you kidding me? That was a mainstay every morning before school. But I just love performance and my brother would get so mad. He would say, mom, tell Jill to quit singing at all the, she knows all the commercials and she's driving me crazy. Tell her to sit down. And, but that's who I was. And I, I thought that was a, a perfect pitch, picture to show that. I love this photograph and uh, our phrase of the day, and you were going to give away one of your books today. Yes. Uh, and then we're going to tell people how they can also purchase the book with a discount uh, exclusive to this show today. Absolutely. Uh, but you, um, our phrase of the day is inner harmony. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of the things uh, to me, music is uh, a great healer. It's gotten me through the last few years with uh, COVID. Um, before the show started today, uh, I said, who would you like to listen to? Prior to the show, uh, I was listening to you, uh, and you said Marilyn May. Uh, that's a no-brainer. Uh, anytime I can be in Marilyn May's company, I'm there. What is it about Marilyn May, be besides the fact that she is a phenomenon with her age and the fact that as she get, gets older, her voice seems to get stronger which defies gravity. What is it about her that just pulls you in? I think with Marilyn, that because I've seen her perform so many times, is I love to watch a Marilyn May Virgin in the audience. And I love to see the way she casts her spell and the way she creates fans almost within the first five minutes. She's got them right there. It's, it's like a magic trick. And she is a phenomenon. That's a perfect word. Uh, she is a miracle worker because here is a room, especially in Palm Beach, where I've seen her many times and where I've performed prim primarily throughout my career. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen her take very jaded, cynical, snobby, <laughs> no offense. Uh, but there, you know, this is can be the situation in that area for audiences and just turn them into happy people. And it, and it just, it, it, everybody leaves. Uh, it, it's life affirming. Her concerts are life affirming and nobody is immune. And that to me is the end all be all. She is my queen. She is who I have taken many master classes with who, I speak with regularly on the phone uh, who just inspires me perhaps more than any other artist out there. Now, I will tell you, I did reach out to her and I wanted her to surprise you by coming on today, but she's busy performing. 
Of she, course she is. Yes, she's in <laughs> Provincetown. And uh, so she wasn't available to be here, but she sends her love. And of course, she's part of the book. Yes, of course. Uh, I have picked her brain <laughs> dry. <laughs> um, she has so many gems and words of wisdom and things like that I wrote down uh, through the years when I would do her master class. These just these perfect little ways of explaining the psychology of an audience and the art of performance. And so it was hard to figure out exactly what to put in the book because I have so many people who contributed amazing uh, performers. Holloway, Nicholas King, uh, Linda Lavin uh, gave a quote. Uh, so many uh, people. Uh, but I want to ask you, going back to that little girl that we saw a few mm -hmm. moments ago, uh, did you grow up in a musical household? I did. My mother was a classical pianist, not by profession, but studied and played all through college and then did concerts in the Southeast. And then my father was sort of your song and dance man. He could play ukulele. He could play piano. He could tap dance. If there was a good floor and it didn't matter where we were, we could be, cause I grew up in Palm Beach County. We could be in Palm Beach at a restaurant. If they had a good floor, he'd start tap dancing to oh, the absolute that. horror and mortification of <laughs> my siblings and I, we were, you know, like dad, um, they were characters. They read, they were very liberal, uh, thinkers in a suburban area that I sort of felt like a, a weirdo a lot because none of the other families in our neighborhood were even remotely like my family. Uh, but the record collection, you know, listening to Ella live in Berlin, listening to barbershop quartet, listening to country, uh, listening to, to uh, Broadway or um, I mean, you name it. My parents would get the sheet music in the mail every week. You know, they subscribe to, like sheet music magazine or something, mm -hmm. right? We're going back, right? And I'm sure that now you really appreciate what they brought to the table. Oh, I feel very, very blessed. I feel very blessed. And neither of my other siblings really uh, went in that direction. I'm the youngest. And, and I, I have this very vivid picture of my dad sitting at the piano with a cigarette in his mouth. He smoked. Uh, playing with the cigarette hanging out, you know, singing, smoke that cigarette. <laughs> and my friends would come in and they go, that's your dad. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, just ignore him. <laughs> just, just ignore him. Yeah. Ignore that man in the corner. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now, do you believe in synchronicity? And I asked that question because the moment that I said, Nicholas King, Angela Bakari said hello to you. She's watching. So uh, hello, Angela. It's good I to see you here. I love her. I do too. Hi, yes. Um, so um, you said that your siblings did not uh, go on the career path that you chose. What was it uh, that made you, or I'm not going to say made you, but pulled you into this business? Uh, because uh, I don't think that we choose to go into this business. I think this business chooses us because there's no other reason why we would, put ourself, uh, ourselves through the pain of such a difficult business that we put ourselves through. You are absolutely correct. Um, my parents, because they both went into, my mother was a teacher and went and got her master's and uh, was a guidance counselor in high school. My father did various and sundry things through the years, different jobs. Uh, neither of them believed I could make a, a living as a singer. They said, you're going to college and getting a real degree so that you can have a real job. And that's what I did. I went to FSU. I got my degree in communications. I worked in public relations in Palm Beach out of college. And every single day I got in my little Volkswagen bug and drove home and cried because I felt like my soul was being sucked from my body. I hated it. And it wasn't until my daughter was born when I was 25, 24, 25, that I, it was just this sort of epiphany, this 
moment of how can I tell this darling, beautiful child who I want to impart all this wisdom to follow your dreams, which I think is everything. How can I tell her that? I'm not doing it. So she is the reason why I finally just said, I'm going to do this. And I got on the phone and started calling talent agents in the area. And they said, we don't put, because I was saying, do you have a band for me? Like, I had no clue. I was totally green. I'm in Lake Worth, Florida. There's no, you know, there were no mentors. And so that basically was, you know, the rest is history. I found a band and blah, blah, blah. But I think that's why I wanted to write books. And that's why this is my second book on this topic, because I want to be the person and give the information that I needed as a, an, in, a, in, as a young person wanting to be a singer. Now, I know because I've done the condo circuit down in Florida, um, and this is, and I say this with all due respect to the agents and the managers in Florida, because I know it's a tough business. They are tough in Florida. I think the agents in Florida are tougher than they are in New York and LA. Uh, they are cutthroat. They are competitive. Uh, they have their group of people. I think to break into that market is harder than it is in any other market in the country. That's my belief. Uh, how did you finally break into that market? You know, I think it was the, you're absolutely right because I've heard this from other like really amazing New York performers. And in fact, I've had a couple of them call me and say, Jill, what should I sing? What should I perform? Because this is a different audience here than New York. It's not, um, it, it, it's just a little more, it's, it's more demanding for make me happy this minute and make sure that I'm pleased from the moment you start uh, your show. You can't, it's, it's not as it, it might be changing with the influx of, of North Northern folk that have, you know, um, moved here over the last couple of years. Um, but the agent I found, I lucked out. Uh, I went through the whole phone book, remember phone books, yellow pages. <laughs> I went through and finally at the M's, uh, music works talent. I called them. I said, you know, I'm a singer. I'm looking for a band. He said, well, we don't really do that, but I do know of a band. Their singer just moved and I'll give him your phone number. And I went for an audition and then they already had gigs, club dates, as we called them here in Palm Beach. My first gig was at the, the beach club. I had to learn 25 songs in about two weeks. Um, and I went and I, was scared to death. I was buttoned up to here in this little navy blue dress with my pearls. I looked like a school marm. And the, the band leader said, um, when we were finished, he said, Jill, he said, let's go down the street to the colony because there's a great singer there I want you to see. I just want you to see the way they operate. I said, okay. So I go drive down there. And here is this uh, wonderful singer. Her name was Sandra. And I walk in and she is just head to toe sequins, just glorious with her bangles, bobbles and beads. And I, I said, oh, 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 OK, I get it now. And it was like I got permission at that moment to really just become everything that that five year old <laughs> in with flowers and, you know, who just owned my diva, <laughs> my inner diva. Well, that's what it's about. I mean, that's the. I mean, that's really the core of finding your authentic self. And that photograph, you're absolutely right. That's who you are, and you tr uh, tried to give the audience truly something that you weren't. And I think that you know, having not even read your book yet, uh, but reading as much as I could uh, from your outlines and uh, the uh, information that you have given me. Uh, is uh, one of the maybe faux pas that most singers make going into this business, trying to be something that they're not. I think that some singers try to become copies of other people rather than trying to be their authentic selves on stage. Yeah. And an audience can smell it, taste it, feel it. They know it. Even if they know nothing about music, it is 
it's visceral. If you are not being authentic and you are putting on a show or you are trying or you're not comfortable in your skin. And that was, it, you know, performing for me has been my therapy <laughs> in a way. Um, it's been my way of really owning all the parts of myself wholly. So how long did it take you to shed the pearls and the blue buttoned up dress and become the glamorous Jill that we know now? Yeah. Did it happen well, overnight? It, it was, it's almost like because of the, the gig and the gigs that were coming, it's, it's like I gave myself permission to when I went into a store and I saw this like on the, the first thing I bought that was my my new identity five year old identity was this black like cape this satin black cape that was for evening to put you know over and I saw it and I'm telling you without a doubt the month prior I never would have bought, I would have loved it I would have said ah oh, that's gorgeous look at that never would have bought it I bought it and and that was the beginning of just just owning that I'm a performer I'm a performer and you have to like one of the things in my book is never dress like an audience member you have to own being a star Thank or you. they're not going to believe you're not a star. You have to own it. You have to breathe it. You have to walk, talk it. I'm doing an event, uh, a big event. Uh, Helen Hayes uh, was a neighbor and her home, we're having it dedicated as a literary landmark. And, uh, and I hope he's not going to mind my telling me this story, but uh, Arlene Dahl was also a neighbor. And anyone who knows, Arlene Dahl was one of the most glamorous women in the world. Uh, she recently passed away. Uh, her husband, uh, they were friends with Helen Hayes. He's coming to this event uh, because they were friends with Helen Hayes. I invited him. And he asked me, he said, Richard, how should I dress to go to this event? And I said to him, and he's going to be there in the audience, I said, dress the way you want to be photographed. You never know when a camera is going to be on you. And... I want to say, speaking from both the audience perspective and the performer, and I'm going to go to that step as well, um, always dress. Uh, first of all, going to see a show, I feel that the audience should dress out of respect for the artist on stage, number one. To go anything less than that, I find, personally, is disrespectful to the artist on stage. And I... Absolutely, totally agree with you. The artist should always be dressed better than anyone in that audience. So yeah. thank you for saying that. Absolutely. I, I, you know, these are just things that I started to have students through the years, private students, and, and they would say, well, what should I wear? And I say, well, what is the gig? And, and well, it's just, uh, you know, Bob's Bar and Grill. I say, okay, so you need to dress better than anybody at Bob's Bar and Grill. Don't dress like an audience member. When you walk in the door, everybody, the owner, the audience, the managers, everybody should know, oh, there's our featured performer. There they are. So that was just something uh, that I, I feel is very important because once you own that, I know for, the, for me personally, once I owned it and I dressed it, I became it, you know, dressed for the 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 role or the, you know, job that you want, not the one you have. It's kind of along that vein, you know. So that first night that you were with a band, fronting yes. a band, and yes. did the audience get you right away? No. This was in Palm Beach. Talk about tough crowds. When you're doing a club date in Palm Beach, it wasn't, I wasn't doing shows yet. I was just doing uh, club dates, private parties. So you're really musical wallpaper for the most part. But uh, so that was great training ground for me because if I had been put right into a show situation, it, it, it would have been tragic. Um, this was great training ground for me. I got my chops I got my seasoning. I learned lessons from all the musicians I got to work with through the years. Cause you know, with club dates, you show up with your, your song list and your keys 
you give it to the band leader. And sometimes I would be with a big band at the breakers or I'd be with, you know, a, a quartet or a trio. But you show up, you're the chick singer, as they called us then. Now that's politically incorrect. And uh, you give them your, your song list and you just kind of go. And people dance. There's a lot of always danceable was one of the criteria for the gigs that I did primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only once I got a steady, like a residency, where I started to hone more of my show skills, you know, of how to uh, work the audience and engage the audience. How long did it take you to start putting arrangements together? Uh, because that's something that's very important as well. And uh, something, because I used to, when I, when I was on the road a lot, and this is something that a lot of singers may not realize, and this is something you can elaborate on. Uh, many times I did not meet musicians until moments before I walked on stage with them. Uh, I had all my arrangements online with a special password, they would go in, download my music, and I would show up and do the gig and walk on and do a show. That was the way it was. And I know that uh, certain singers uh, here in New York, Casey Sullivan, who I know that you know, uh, when I first started out, greatest advice that she gave me, she said, have at least five musical directors who can go on and do your show at a moment's notice. Wow. Well, or you can marry yours. (laughs) <laughs> which I was so, so lucky uh, to. Uh, I want to talk about that as well. Yeah. <laughs> I did. That, that's when I started having arrangements because prior to that, you know, it was pickup. It was club dates. It was, uh, you know, uh, there's, it, it was really not, it, what you did in Palm Beach was you would have the band leader and they'd say, okay, give me a swing or give me a, a, a ballad. And then if, if people were dancing, they would keep it going, uh, the swing tempo and say, all right, give me another swing. And they would just go into, they, you know, direct the band to go into. So you do, you know, five minutes of swing or 10 minutes of, 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 you know, shuffle or, uh, Lindy or whatever. Um, but when I was, uh, I'd been with the first band for maybe four years and there was an ad in the uh, rag, as it's called. It, it's no longer, but it was this little, you know, magazine you could get at the music store. And in the back were classifieds. And it was a band that needed a singer and top 40 and standards and jazz and blah, blah, blah. I thought I need to do this because I was very stuck with the band that I, four years, you know, I'd been and I wasn't really, I didn't feel any growth, you know, Um So I auditioned for the band at the Colony in Palm Beach, which is where this band was performing. And I knew Rich Schweitzer from the area and that he was amazing. So I went and watched him and he played trumpet and he played saxophone, he played piano and he kicked bass with pedals underneath the piano. And he did it all beautifully. And he had a great drummer. And um, so I, I got the, uh, I, got the audition, you know, which it was a crazy night because there were like two other singers there. It was a live night. It was a regular performance night. So uh, the the gal that was in front of me was furious when she found out that she wasn't the only one in the running. And she was like, I didn't know that it's going to be American Idol or something like that, or Star Search, I think at the time, Star Search. But I got the gig and it, that's when the refinement began with my singing with my uh, arrangements with my freedom because Richie to this day, I mean, gosh, last week I said, why don't we learn this song? What do you think about this arrangement? What do you think about this tempo? He just whips it out. He is so great and I'm so lucky and he he's amazing. Now Tess says, Jill and Rich, a match made in heaven. So I think she's talking about the other Rich, not me. So, <laughs> Although we're pretty good. Yeah, I think we're pretty good. Uh, <laughs> you have to say. Uh, how long have you been together? We just celebrated in um, July 26 years, God, but we have you. performed together about almost two years 
year and a half, two years uh, before we got married. And um, it's been crazy. I mean, we've had every kind of gig. He also plays accordion and uh, we, we played every kind of gig you could imagine the Polish club, the, uh, the, the, we played for princess Stephanie of Monaco. We've played for, uh, Stephen Edie Gourmet, you know, Tony Bennett. Uh, then when we got the colony gig where we were the resident band for almost 10 years, that's when the master master classes began because the Royal room was right next to oh, where yeah. we performed in the polo. And we five nights a week got to see the cream of the crop, the best of the best Nicholas King. Uh, I'll never forget the first time our jaws dropped to the floor. Um, we, we saw everybody, you know, all the people that you mentioned earlier, Anne Hampton Calloway, Angela Vacari, Marilyn May, um, just, uh, there's just too many to name all the wonderful, I got to record with the four freshmen, you know, cause we got to know them and I got to do a couple of recordings with the four freshmen, got to record with Nicholas King. Um, just Christine Ebersol came through, oh, you God, know, yes. just, just divine, sublime. Uh, Kenny Rankin, before he passed, was there at the colony. That was just a, a spiritual uh, experience to see him night after night. We, my husband, Richie, and I both would sit in the back and we would just cry. You, you couldn't mm -hmm. believe the beauty of his, of his voice and just so many. So that's when I started to, to really grasp this next level of performance. I but what's the secret, if, or if there is a secret, uh, this is a tough business solo. But when you've got two people who were in this business, um, are you a package deal always, or do you go in separate directions with your careers, or how? what's the secret in making it work so cohesively together? Well, Richie has uh, been... MD for Nicholas King, for Marilyn May. Uh, he's worked with the four fresh, like he'll go off and do things on his own. I've done some things. I worked with the Palm Beach Pops uh, uh, back when uh, Bob Lappin was the maestro and the, the Palm Beach Pops existed. It doesn't anymore. And, and um, so I, we both will do things, you know, on our own from time to time. But in general, uh, we just do have a good package deal you know um it it works very well it, when it comes to music we are simpatico we we it's just this we both have the same work ethic we both have the sense same sensibilities musical sensibilities we both uh know how to uh, uh gauge a crowd how to work the crowd how to uh, do the music, call the music so that it flows and there's a flow to the evening. Um, we just work yeah. very well together. I'm going to ask a question that I know Rich is going to appreciate here. The first time that I appeared in Atlantic City uh, at uh, Trump's Taj Mahal, uh, I, uh, it was all canned music. And I absolutely hated it. I said I would never, and I made a vow, I would never perform with canned music again. And I was the only one from that show that they invited to come back. Uh, they did a follow-up show. They, they cut back, and I said, I will only come back if you have a live band. And they brought in a live band. And after the first performance, the producer said, there's a difference in your performance. And I said, of course there is. It's live music. And why have so many of the venues in Florida now gone with canned music? I'm, gonna, I'm glad you asked this question because we have a, a, a unique situation. We have a recording studio and Richie plays, did I mention drums, bass, guitar? Yes. All of our music that we use, Richie created 
all of our special arrangements. So that is how one of the reasons we've been able to make a living in the changing climate, because when we get booked as a duo, we can still bring keyboards. Richie still plays saxophone, but obviously he can't accompany himself while he's playing saxophone. So we have our own tracks. So we don't use canned, we don't use karaoke tracks or anything like that. But we sort of use a mixture uh, when the budget doesn't allow for a live, a completely live band. So we sort of supplement with other, you know, tracks. And I, and I understand that. But my question is, with all due respect, is it, is it really that there is no budget for the, mu- uh, for the musicians? Or are they, excuse me for saying this, being cheap? Well, that's, a, that's interesting. Um, I think people's ears and what they expect to hear has changed. Uh, they are so inundated with the music business as it is now, where if you see somebody on an award show, nine times out of ten, there are vocals being flown in. There's mm-hmm. auto-tune on the microphone. Uh, there is uh, just lots of stuff happening that is not live. Mm-hmm. And people's expectations have changed through the years because of that. So to stay competitive, we have to give a sound a lot of times that matches what they like if we play a cover tune, we want it to sound as close to, you know, what they're used to. It, it's different when we do a show, you know, when we do a show, it, it's different. But when we do club dates and we do private parties and you have young people, you know, they expect that otherwise they're going to get a DJ. So well, that's been, know, yeah. But what I wanted to say, it, funny girl, uh, the current Broadway revival, yes. I saw uh, it. They, uh, well, they cut a lot of corners. Yeah. And the one thing that I have heard over and over and over again, I haven't seen it, is the sound is lacking because they've cut back on the music. It was just announced Josh Groban and Annalee Ashford are coming to Broadway in uh, uh, Sweeney's Hot, which I cannot wait for. And they've announced a 25-piece Broadway orchestra is coming in which I think is phenomenal. It's going to, you know, there's going to be a bigger sound. Um, and I think that when those, when those corners are cut, I think it's wonderful that you have the control in your situation. Um, and thank God you've got rich. Um, yeah. But a lot of singers don't have that luxury. It's so true. It's so true. Um, it, 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 we were watching a documentary or uh, last night about Sting um, and, you know, brilliant, brilliant, Uh, singer, songwriter, musician. Um, And he was commenting on that as well, that it's, it's just, there aren't, he said the, the regular ways that we were able to hone our craft and get the seasoning are gone. The clubs, live music venues are gone. He said, now you're put into a situation like the voice or American Idol or X Factor, that's kind of the, you're just shot out, shot out of a cannon. You're not taught the way we have been taught through the trenches, you know, through all the various uh, situations and experiences that teach you how to handle um, an audience, how to navigate a gig, how to make a living, you know, learning the ins and outs. Um, so I think it, I hope it comes back around. And I love that Josh Groban and Annalise Ash, Ashford, um, is that who you said it was? Annalise Ashford, yes. Yeah, uh, I love that because you're absolutely right. I saw Funny Girl on Broadway with my daughter a couple of months ago and it was lackluster. There was, I didn't even, because you've seen more Broadway, I'm sure than I have, you know, Broadway shows, but 
I didn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know if it was the lead at the time or what was not getting me right here, like shows I'd seen in the past, but perhaps that is what it was. They cut corners, they cut corners. Mm -hmm. But in answer to what you just said, this is where your book comes in. Yes. The book is going to help those that are asking those questions. Um, Davis Gaines, who I'm a huge fan of, I've had on this show. And one of the things that he said, and I've quoted him on this many times on this show, he said, going into this business, you go in with a game plan. And then once you get into this business, it's very much like being thrust into a pinball machine. Uh, it very much is a matter of who you meet and uh, the circumstances that come your way. But you very much in your plan, uh, book, you come up with a game plan of setting goals, uh, going about, the business has changed a lot. Uh, since I've come into the business, I, I came to New York in 1979, 43 years ago. And even the way that I approach the business, the way that I uh, learned about gigs and everything, it's all different. The way that I went on the road, it's different. It's all different. Um, what, besides getting the book is the first step, everyone. And you can see the code there. Everyone get the book. Uh, and if you win the book today, you can give it away as a gift. Mm -hmm. uh, we want everyone to buy the book. Uh, but what is the first step? I mean, you need great training, obviously, going into this business. Uh, but pursuing a career, what advice do you give to someone who wants to know, how do I get started in today's world of not really knowing how to get started? I would say you have to have the passion. You have to have the desire. You have to love it. Whether you're singing in your shower, you would sing whether there was an audience or not. Those are the, because I got so many students through the years who would come through, they want the razzle dazzle. They want the glamor. They don't want to do the work. And for me, it's not work because I would sing all day long to every record, to every song that came on the radio, because I loved it. It was a pat. It was something I had to do. It, it wouldn't not happen. So to me, that is, I even have a little checklist at the beginning of the book. Uh, you know, are, did this happen to you? Are these things that, that you can relate to, you know? Um, so that's number one. Number two, I think the most important quality, even beyond talent because I think, as they say, uh, talent is as common as table salt. You know, uh, it's uh, you have to be good with rejection. You have to. And that's where the passion comes in, because you love it so much, even though you're getting you're you know, told no and you're being rejected. The passion and the love has to override the the fear and the the sorrow, because, like you said, it's very difficult business. Um, and then number three, I teach and I practice when I am going on stage that I am always in service. How may I serve? How can I make this evening, these people, this party, this situation, how can I elevate it and make it something that these people will remember for the rest of their lives? It's no longer, it's not about me. Ego stays in the practice room. It is about service. And I see a lot of performers who go to the stage to get healed, to get love, to get uh, something from the audience. It's, it's a very, they're very self-absorbed. Or look at me sing, aren't I a great singer? Listen to this riff, listen to this run. Um, so those to me are the top three things that, determine your success because if you're in service and people know that and they know you will really go to the ends of the earth to make sure that that event or that party or that show is from the sound person to the manager front of house to that you're what can we do we want everybody to win that to me is the key absolutely carol channing said there are performers and they're entertainers a performer mm. is focused on themselves and an mm. entertainer is focused on the audience Yes. Yes. What did you learn about yourself from writing this book? 
you know, the, the, when I wrote the first book in 2005 on this topic, it was called The Diva Next Door, How to Be a Singing Star Wherever You Are. And it was, you know, obviously just for women because I, it, I was writing what I knew at the time. That's, that's what I knew. And it was my, um, but what I learned when I wrote that is that I know a lot more than I thought I did. And that kind of happened again with this book. Uh, all these years later, I realized, wow, I, I, I guess I learned a lot on this topic. And my daughter is uh, 30, 32, and she's a, a, a rock star. I mean, she travels all over the world. She plays bass, and she's a singer-songwriter, and she is with a band called Surfer Blood. <laughs> And no, they don't do great American songbook or jazz standards, but she knows she can sing a jazz standard like nobody's business. Um, but I learned a lot from her as far as, uh, and she's a contributor of the book as well, because she's young and doing things uh, very differently than I did. And so she contributes as well, because I wanted to make sure that I was addressing those young people who are in music school and who come out of Berkeley and UM and Carnegie Mellon, et cetera. And I will see them performing after they've spent a lot of money on an, a top education and they don't know any of the stuff in this book. Very little of it is taught. The practical aspects, the art of performance, the psychology of an audience. And I feel like people like Marilyn May and these wonderful performers, this, this information is not taught. There aren't opportunities for young people to learn. Uh, so I felt like this book, especially, it's almost like I felt this needs to be put on paper so we don't forget. Because storytelling is how we pass on you know, our, our histories. And I wanted to make sure that everybody who, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear that whoever needs to find this and hear this and see this and learn this, it'll be available to them. Well, I cannot wait. Uh, I cannot wait to get my own copy. Uh, so what's next for you? After the book comes out, are you going to be doing a, a book tour? What's next for you with this? I've got a lot of events planned locally. Uh, the Cultural Council, the Arts Garage, where just like we did on my first book tour, where we went, you know, to Barnes and Noble and Borders uh, through the Southeast and did a book release at Birdland back in the day because uh, my publisher was in New York. Uh, we we always mix music with a little bit of, uh, you know, book talk and Q&A and make it kind of almost like a cabaret show because that's what we do. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to take that approach again. We're going to do music. Thank God my Richie will, you know, he's like, okay, what do you need me to do? You know, he's the best. He, he's always supported me in all of my, you know, different endeavors, different tangents that I go on. Cause I just, you know, you know, you're creative. You have to create, whether it's writing a book or putting together a new show or, um, you know, whatever it is. So we've got a lot of things locally planned. This is a more of a scholastic press. They have big distribution in schools. So I wrote this more, the, the first book was more whimsical and girlfriend's guide, you know, chick lit kind of uh, breezy tone. This one, I still tried to keep my, my authentic voice, but I had to be more cognizant that it's, you know, a classroom full of people and and I had to be very conscious of making sure that the information could be received. That's wonderful. And do you have any dates coming up in New York in the near future? I don't, but uh, tomorrow, uh, Jim Caruso and Billy Stritch will be in Orlando, Florida for their cast party. They're taking it to Orlando. And so we're gonna pop up there tomorrow Oh, and uh, and have a, a little fun with them because the like I said the first book release uh, was at Birdland in New York, um, so 
I don't have anything planned because it's a different kind of thing. They have such huge distribution with this uh, Meredith Music publications under GIA publications that I don't have to do that kind of, you know, going to bookstores. Uh, it, it, everything changes, Richard. That's just everything's changed. It's great. Well, as we wind down, I do uh, a little fun and we do some wind down questions. Uh, we want everyone to comment with inner harmony. Uh, what does inner harmony mean to you, first of all? I, inner harmony means balance. Balance with work, with family, with my spiritual work. Uh, it, it breaks down to every day as well. Like, how do I spend my mornings? You know, and I always try to get that first third of my day, you know, really locked down with a lot of spiritual reading, writing. Um, I don't go to the computer. I don't look at emails. I really try to stay quiet and meditative. And so for me, that's balance, having those those uh, sacred mornings and then having my day uh, available to do the things I love. You know, we were on the radio for almost uh, eight years, Brilliant. a morning show, five days a week, six to 10 a.m. That was not an inner harmony <laughs> situation. It was very. But you made it so, Jill. Thank you. We, yeah. we loved it. We loved aspects of it. We loved the creativity of it. Uh, but um, the there wasn't the balance that we have now. And I never could have written this book. That, I mean, that was a seven day a week, you know, we produced, we were coming up with jingles. We were doing the, what you're doing with uh, guests, lining up guests. I mean, it was, it was amazing and it was exhausting. It's yeah. a lot of work. So, yeah. um, so I've got a mystery question. I haven't even looked okay. at it yet. What oh. mistakes do you keep making over and over again? I don't like to think of them as mistakes, but what lessons do you keep creating over and over again? That's easy. And Tess and I have talked about this at length, my darling Tess. Uh, we, uh, I give away the farm. I, I'm, I'm generous uh, to a fault in that when I, when somebody wants me to do something or, you know, or wants something from me, I just want to just give it all. And what I've learned and what I'm trying to, you know, put into action is that people in general don't always appreciate um, what you give for free and what you, you know. So I'm learning to be more careful about uh, the energy that I expend on a particular situation and be more balanced. You are absolutely right. And I'm in the same boat. Yeah. All the time, my phone all the time. People are constantly calling me for advice and I'm always giving it, you know, so, and I love giving it, but of course, you know, but, uh, and Tess and I, she's my sounding board. She knows this yesterday. And she'll tell you this. I called her and I said, Tess, I'm calling you for no other reason, but to say, I love you oh. because I spent too many times calling you for advice or to bend your ear. And today I'm calling you for no other reason, but just to say, I love you. <laughs> I bet so, she loved that. Um, and this, the, this question, I'm going to, I'm going to probably rearrange this question. It said, if you had a, um, a gentler side, how would you express it? And I, I can't imagine you having any other side, but a gentler side. That's what we've seen today. Um, what, gets under your skin let's let me ask that since i'm gonna i'm just seeing that question what gets uh, under your skin uh when people aren't grateful not being grateful that that's a pet peeve yeah and not showing appreciation uh i think that is one of the most underrated uh leadership skills out there and, and something that needs to be taught of, of how important it is to let people know that you appreciate them. Uh, I even talk about in the book, sending a little thank you note 
There's nothing wrong with a thank you note. If somebody opens a door for you, send a thank you note, write it out and put it in the snail mail. Or just even if it's something that isn't, you know, big, then a little text or something say thank you. Uh, so often I, I see young people, they don't, they just expect, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of entitlement um, that I see. You and I are on the same wavelength. And that takes me to, this is going to be the last thing before we do our giveaway. Um, I have this great calendar. Uh, it's called Daily Acts of Kindness. And I pulled this from the Daily Act of Kindness today. And it says, share a compliment about a coworker uh, with your supervisor. Well, I'm not a supervisor, but I'd like you to share a compliment about someone that you've worked with on this book that you want to share publicly with everyone today. That is so easy. Uh, Garwood Whaley. He is the publisher, Meredith Music. He started the company. He's a, a musician, originally went to Juilliard uh, a, a, in percussion and drums. He has been an absolute dream to work with. I could not have, if, if the heavens had opened and said, here is, is a publisher, uh, unbelievable. Garwood Whaley, a prince among men. So there you have it. And thank you. And uh, I am going to give away your book right now. I've, I've had a test. Thank you so much for this gift. It was a gift for me. So thank you so much. And we're going to see who Glenn, Char he won last night too. Glenn. Glenn Charlotte and Glenn is a singer. Uh, Glenn is now appearing in 12th night uh, in Maryland. So if anyone gets to Maryland, go and see Glenn Charlotte. And I will give another plug. Glenn Charlotte is part of the Richard Skipper Celebrates team, as Tess knows. Uh, he designs uh, all of the graphics. He designed the graphic that you saw at the beginning of the show. And for both of our sponsors, EMC Studios and uh, Deborah Stone. Uh, so please, if you get a chance, our sponsors, they are helping to keep the show uh, afloat. Uh, so if you get a chance, go to their website and thank them for doing this. So, uh, Jill, I'm going to have my closing comments and then I'm going to give you the cl uh, closing comments for today. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, you will end the show. Don't worry about how to end it. As soon as you say goodbye, uh, the closing credits will be, uh, will start, uh, inner harmony, uh, all of us, we have to find the inner harmony within each and every one of us. And that starts from the moment that you put your feet on the floor each morning and how you start your day. Uh, I love what Jill said because I am a huge proponent of that. Uh, one of my favorite writers, uh, in addition to Jill now, uh, is, uh, uh, is uh, Jill Cameron. Uh, and uh she has a, a, an incredible book called The Artist Way. Uh, and uh, do, do you read The Artist Way? Are you kidding me? It's one of my Bibles. <laughs> uh, it's my Bible. And do you do your morning pages? I have done the whole book three different times. I do morning pages every day. Julia Cameron. I said Jill Julia Cameron. Cameron. I, uh, I was Julia. like, wait a minute. Yeah. Julia Cameron. Uh, I went with Jill, uh, but it's <laughs> Julia Cameron. Uh, another great book that I recommend. I do my morning pages every single morning and I sit down and uh, she does what is called a mind dump where you just anything that's in your mind. I put it down on paper and I do it every morning. Uh, I go for a morning walk. I come back and I do more my morning pages it's truly a great way to start your day. And I also end every day with my gratitude list of the things that I'm grateful for. I'm now grateful for Jill, Tess, Deborah Stone, uh, Aaron Caleb, Glenn Charlotte, and all of you who showed up today. Um, I also want to thank you. If this was your first time here at Richard Skipper Celebrates, I hope it will not be your last. My show is about celebrating, celebrating life, celebrating art, celebrating artists and their body of worth. My hope is that after today's show that you will go to my channel, richardskipperscelebrates.com and sign my guest book with your thoughts about today's show. Then share this through the channel as well with your friends and let others know about this. Advertising is great, 
but word of mouth is even greater. And even with Jill's book, telling other people about this book is great. I also end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and go to the third name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private uh, inbox message, (coughs) excuse me, but a phone call. And let that person know what they mean to you. Uh, And go a step further. Buy two copies of this book. Keep one for yourself and send one to that third friend. I know whether they are a singer or not, that they know somebody who aspires to be a singer or who is a singer that will benefit from this book. All of us know someone out there who will benefit from this book. So let's get this book out there and let's get this book on the top of every book list everywhere. We can all make it happen. I believe it. Uh, As my dear friend, Sean Moniker always says, we're all in this together but we're not in the same boat. You never know what someone else is going through right now. And I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. (laughs) So Jill, I'm going to leave the screen. It's all yours. You can speak about anything that we talked about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish that we had, or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with today. And again, I hope you'll come back sometime. Thank you, and please stay in touch. Thank you. It's all yours. Well, I loved what you said, Richard, about uh, The Artist's Way. That book is the reason I wrote my first book. So I highly recommend it. I think it is. it should be on every artist's bookshelf and something that you refer to often uh, because it is, it's, it's powerful. The steps are powerful and they help you. And I read it again in order to write this book, The Contemporary Singer's Blueprint. So uh, yeah, I'm super excited. And I just want uh, people to, uh, whether they're an aspiring singer, they're a, a professional singer who wants to level up, feel stuck, or of course, music educators who want the practical information, the, um, the, the art of performance and the psychology of an audience and, and to have that information in one text um, from the pros who know. So that's it. Never know how much I love you. Never know how much I care. When you put your arms around me, I get a fever that's so hard to bear. You give me fever. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight A fever in the morning, a fever all through the night Santa baby, slip the sable under the tree for me Santa baby and hurry down the chimney tonight Santa baby a 54 convertible to light blue I'll wait up for you dear Santa baby and hurry down the chimney tonight
Hi, my name is Jill Schweitzer. I'm a professional vocalist and author of The Contemporary Singer's Blueprint, from amateur to professional and beyond. Did you know some studies show that less than 5% of musicians actually make a living in their field? And yet year after year, music schools are filled to capacity with amazingly talented vocalists. I wanna narrow that divide with this book by mapping out the exact elements, the heart, the craft, the soul that make up a successful singing career, which I've learned through my own 30 years of experience in the music business and by extensive research and interviews with other successful career vocalists. I share not only the fundamentals of contemporary singing, but the nuances and fine points that elevate a song and a performance, create star quality, and build a loyal fan base. I also give the practical aspects of the business so you can actually make a living as a singer. And perhaps the most crucial key I share in this book for building a long, thriving singing career has nothing to do with your talent, your appearance, your age, the right connections or lucky breaks. The key is developing the right mindset. And I give the strategies and benchmark tools to do just that in each chapter, guiding you every step of the way. So are you ready to learn what the pros know so you can make your dream job a reality? Then get your copy of the Contemporary Singer's Blueprint today.